Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing Angela Carter's gothic fantasy short story collection, The Bloody Chamber. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. I can't wait to get into this discussion with you. (laughs) Yeah, same. I um, really enjoyed my reading of The Bloody Chamber. And we're not going to give a real synopsis because this is a collection of short stories, but I I think we can say they are all or mostly dark fairy tale retellings with a feminist bent. Yeah, that that sums it up really well. They are creepy and dark and surreal and at times a little confusing, but there is so much that's familiar about them because of all of those fairy tale elements. So it makes for a really moody reading experience. And I'm really glad that we chose to read this one in winter because I just can't think of enjoying it any other time as such a seasonal reader myself. Yeah, I completely agree. And this episode is going to come out in the middle of February, and it's kind of a twisted Valentine's Day pick, too, which is kind of fun. It really is. (laughs) It is. There is one story in here that's actually kind of romantic. Yeah. They don't all end terribly, which they're dark. But um, okay, well, we'll get into that. But (laughs) Chelsea, what is your previous experience with The Bloody Chamber? I read The Bloody Chamber... I don't think I had read the entire collection until now, but I've read The Company of Wolves, which is the second to last story in the collection, like maybe three or four times in my master's degree program for like two different classes. So I remember reading that one a few times and really loving it. I still loved it on this reread. It definitely stands out in this collection and i think it's i think it's plucked out because it is very easy to psychoanalyze and use sort of the feminist lens on it and lends itself really easily to literary criticism so that's the main experience that i've had with her fairy tales was an academic setting but it was so fun to sit down and just read them all through and read one right after the other because they just you feel like you're in this dreamlike state as you keep reading and they all feel related, but they're not interconnected. Mm-hmm. So it was really fun. What about you? What about your prior experience with this? I think I'd only read The Tiger's Bride before and I can't even remember in what setting. I loved my reading experience, but I will say it was also one of those that I just felt like, oh, I wish I'd read this earlier. And and both because I wish I had had it in my experience and, and in my reading life earlier in, in my life. But also, so many people have written stories and done things that are derivative of Angela Carter that I wish my first experience with some of this had been with her. Yeah, that makes sense. You can definitely see some threads, if especially if you read gothic literature or fairy tale-esque books. But not just that. I think that she did some really interesting things for feminist literature, and we will definitely get to that. But I think that this episode will be pretty much spoiler-free because we're talking about a short story collection. We might talk about certain aspects of specific stories, but overall, I don't think that we'll spoil anything major. So we're going to kind of take the approach of we want people to pick this up if they like gothic literature. I think the very first story The Bloody Chamber, if you love Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, you need to at least read The Bloody Chamber, the first story, not just the full collection. Oh, absolutely. There were so many Rebecca vibes in here. The house, the creepy housekeeper, the wife Mm -hmm. who died in a boating accident, but they never found her body. I mean, so Rebecca. 
Yep. Or if you love reading Edgar Allan Poe's short stories, or if you love teaching Edgar Allan Poe to your students, I read in a couple of different spots that Angela Carter was heavily influenced by Poe and his stories, which I think you can totally see in hindsight. And so I thought we could start by sort of sharing where Angela Carter fits into the quote literary canon with just a little bit of background about her and just some historical context to figure out where this fits. Because when I was reading this book, it felt so out of time and place to me. Hmm. Because you're reading these fairy tales and it takes you to a fairy tale world, which often are sort of like either medieval or just like, you know, old England times, right? But then someone's on the telephone Mm -hmm. and someone's driving a car and there's this modernization to it that kind of confuses you of like, where actually am I? So it was published in 1979, very firmly in the middle of the second wave of feminism and definitely has literary ties to the surrealist movement, to psychology and psychoanalysis, and then, of course, is heavily influenced by Gothic literature. Like you said, this book is so ready to be analyzed with a wide variety of critical lenses. Like, you could take a one of these stories and of course you could look at it through a feminist lens but there's so much you could do in terms of is each character actually a different part of one character's psyche and there's just there's so much to play with here and also in adding on to your timelessness of it the style and the themes also felt somewhat timeless in the sense that I could see so many of the roots of where Angela Carter was getting her ideas, and I could see so much of what was going to come after she wrote these stories. And You can just really see it almost at the center of this web, this network of this particular type of gothic feminist literature, which just, you know, made me so happy as somebody who loves talking about the way literature is connected. Yeah. I was thinking about that as I was reading. I was like, oh, we're really going to have fun with this. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because that's pretty much the whole point of this podcast. But I, so we mentioned Rebecca and sort of the connection to Rebecca, but I'm curious if you have any other examples of what you mean by sort of seeing, oh, here is the root of this story and here's where it came from here's the story. And then here's where I sort of see it now. Do you have any other examples of that? Yeah. I mean, I I think we talked a bit about this in our fairy tale episode, but a lot of what I see Angela Carter working with is this idea, one, that fairy tales are the archetypal women's journey and what that means. And then two, this classic literature convention of a book that's a marriage plot-ish or a a book about women (laughs) needing to either end in the woman's death or in her marriage and how those are the the two paths for a female protagonist in, in much of classic literature. I see Carter playing with that, resisting it, having some fun at its expense. And I, I think that a lot of women authors do that now. Uh, I, and I, I don't even mean to suggest that she's the first, but she seems to be really gung-ho <laughs> about that project. I can't remember where I picked up this soundbite. I think that it was on a podcast where someone was talking about the bloody chamber, but it wasn't like specifically about Angela Carter. But they mentioned that she sort of had this idea that these were not necessarily direct fairy tale retellings, but they were more so sort of telling an untold part of the story, part of the fairy tale. Or I think actually in the introduction to the collection, it sort of frames these as not necessarily direct fairy tale retellings, although you can kind of be like, okay, this is definitely Beauty and the Beast, or this is definitely Snow White. But there are a lot mixed into these stories. It's not just Beauty and the Beast. There are then also elements of other fairy tales. And so having all of these sort of mixed elements of the fairy tales and sort of 
really clear references, but then taking them and turning them into something completely different. I just think it's interesting that these symbols that she uses and these very clear fairy tale tropes speak volumes. She doesn't, I mean, all she has to say is mirror, mirror, and we get it. Mm -hmm. And it says so much about what the story is going to be about. We know the story is going to be about beauty and identity and jealousy. Or there are several references where a character says, oh my, what big eyes you have. And they're not all Little Red Riding Hood retellings, but we we know sort of what that signifies. And she's playing with what all of these things symbolize. And I just thought that was fascinating and smart and also just makes for a really fun discussion. Okay. It's so brilliant. And the added layer to that is that there's a mythology at work that's contained within her stories as well. Like in the, the bloody chamber, the unnamed protagonist talks about how her mother was sold to or married to a tiger. And then there's a story that's not about her mother. They're not interconnected like that, but there is a story about the tiger's bride or Another character mentions the Earl King. And then later we meet an Earl King. And so there's just, she's playing too with that idea that fairy tales become mythologized and the the way we retell them to each other and make new meaning out of them. And yeah, it's just, it's so smart. I, I love the interconnectedness of all of those. And I, so we've talked about how much we love retellings before, but I have to say, I also love allusions mm. and literary references. And this collection is just so chock full of them. And I think it's fun. I think it's like a scavenger hunt. I think it's really fun when an author can just say, use a really simple sentence to convey a lot. But before we get into some really specific examples of those fairy tale tropes and symbols and sort of dig into a couple of our favorite stories here, I just wanted to say that her writing is stunning. Her descriptions, her gift of language and imagery is just gorgeous. It's beautiful. It really is. And these stories are so perfect for short stories, both because of the illusions and the fact that there's not a word or sentence out of place, but also, yeah, her her writing creates so much imagery and meaning in such a small amount of space. And it's really lovely. And I love how she can simultaneously make you feel awe at what she's describing and horrified. And we talked a little bit about that in our Frankenstein episode. That really is a quality of Gothic literature that it's playing with the awful, awesome root. That awe is both terrifying and wonder-inspiring. And and she, like, her writing nails that. It really does. And I, so I'm curious if you have a favorite story that you read or one that creeped you out the most, <laughs> one that like one that you can't shake, like it'll stick with you or a favorite. Well, I mean, I'm definitely going to be thinking about the snow child forever. Yeah. What <laughs> happened? What was that? It's a it's two it's pages. It's a two page story. And it's horrifying. I mean, I feel like I, anything we say would almost be a spoiler because it's too two pages, but it's kind of yeah a combination of the Snow Child fairy tale and Snow White. Certainly there are allusions to many things, I, I'm sure. I don't even know what to say about it, but it's horrifying. It is. It's really disturbing. And I'm glad it was so short because it was so terrifying. Yeah. I, I just really liked the run of Bloody Chamber, Courtship of Mr. Lion, and The Tiger's Bride. I mean, all of the stories are connected in some way or doing you know, similar things. But I just thought that was a really interesting progression of these stories. I I don't know that I have a favorite because I just think that the collection works so well. 
together. And and I think that each story thematically will like feel more meaningful to me at different parts of my life because they're they mm-hmm. are so focused on quote unquote the woman's journey. How about you? What was your favorite or one that's going to haunt you? <laughs> I think that I don't know, at least on this reading, and it might change, you know, each time that I read it, but The Bloody Chamber really stands out to me as being, I mean, it is, it's the title story. So of course it's, it's the title for a reason, but it stood out to me as signaling the most Gothic fantasy. Mm-hmm. It had the most Gothic trope, um, feeling, setting. I mean, it's this creepy old mansion. There's a secret room. There's like blood and gore. It's it's like Rebecca, Jane Eyre, Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah. like <laughs> all of these things and signals so much while being its, its own story and being something completely different. And I was really fascinated by that one. So I think I'll be thinking of that one for quite a while. And then I agree with you that the next couple stood out. I also, I still really like In the Company of Wolves or The Company of Wolves for a lot of reasons. Um, I think partly just because it's the one that I've read the most. And so um, it's like I have the most passages marked and underlined. And it just also feels exceptionally timely to me. And has such obvious has such obvious implications for the functions of the patriarchy. So I was definitely still entranced by that one. But I agree with you as a as a whole, as a collection. It's really fun. And by fun, I mean super creepy, sometimes gross and disturbing. <laughs> yeah. 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 I completely agree about um, the company of wolves. And I also, I-, I love that you brought up Jane Eyre and 50 shades of gray <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, I-, I feel like this book is kind of the missing link um, to that chronology. I mean, I, there are many ways I have tried to sell Jane Eyre to 15-year-olds. And one of those ways is, and this is this is very true, like Twilight is largely based on, inspired by Jane Eyre. His name's even Edward. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course, Fifty Shades is Twilight fan fiction. So yep. I, I, I like that. Now thinking of the bloody chamber as kind of like the dark bridge between Jane Eyre, not that Jane Eyre isn't dark in its own way, and those stories, those contemporary stories, which is kind of like what we were saying at the beginning. Like you can just see this book in that web and that makes it all the more magical. It also reminded me, I mean, certainly Twilight, there's a lot of vampire content in this book. Mm-hmm. So it's we have been really framing it as a fairy tale collection, but it's, it is gothic fantasy. And so there are elements of fairy tales. There are vampires. There are a ton of Alice in Wonderland references, which I think is just really interesting. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. But it also, to me, seems like the spark for so much paranormal romance, like these wolves that turn into men Mm -hmm. and are super sexy Mm -hmm. and some other gothic romance tropes that I like I know I've read plenty of romance novels where all of the sudden this father lost at the card table and suddenly his daughter's dowry belongs to someone else and she has to go marry someone which doesn't it sounds like a terrible premise and doesn't sound feminist at all but it ends up being feminist because of the way that the heroine reacts to the situation the way she finds her own happiness and the way that she finds love and independence and freedom in in that strict society mm-hmm. and sort of exposes the rules of the society. And so some of those things that I love in other genres that I didn't really think were connected to this, although I don't, I haven't read paranormal romance. I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> but 
I saw so much of that in here and I was really surprised by it because I, I just, I don't know, but I shouldn't be because you're right. Like there, there's so much at the root here of different feminist literature. Yeah. And it, it's so at the root that I'm sure there are infinite authors who wouldn't even say that they're influenced by Angela Carter or this collection, but these ideas and tropes are so pervasive that they're almost impossible to escape in in those sorts of genres. The Alice stuff is mm-hmm. fascinating to me. I read Alice in Wonderland in my The Other Victorians class, which I think I have talked about before on this podcast. <laughs> I wrote a very long paper about it. (laughs) And I think in my reading, Alice in Wonderland is very much a fairy tale in the sense that it's about a girl in between the time of being a little girl and a woman and how identity shattering that is and how confusing it is, how it literally turns her world upside down Sometimes she's too big. Sometimes she's too small. She doesn't know where she fits in. She has to learn a whole new language. And that's very much what fairy tales are about to me as well. And so I was not expecting that, but it made a lot of sense to me that it was in here. That does make a lot of sense because most of these stories are definitely about the transition from girlhood to womanhood. And in most cases, that is a sexual awakening, or in some cases, that is a change, like literal body change. But for most of these stories, it is either experiencing fear around sexuality or power around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And Angela Carter is doing some really interesting things with that. Yes. And I I love how you said it's either, sometimes both, fear and power, because the way traditional fairy tales read, the agency isn't there for our female archetypes, and the awakening period is passive. Fairy tale heroines all experience a period of waiting, which, you know, a lot of scholars think symbolizes adolescence where you're not sexually awakened yet. You're not a little girl anymore. And so the best thing to do is to either is usually to fall asleep and just wait (laughs) for that awakening Hmm. to come to you. And I like that she explores past the, the sexual awakening for many of these heroines or that she explores the emotions of waiting and the emotions of that being lost in the woods and not being settled in your body and your sexuality and your identity that comes with adolescence for many people. So I only know this because we've talked about it before. We've just like really quickly talked about the heroine's journey and sort of just that woman's journey in literature. Do we have time for you to sort of quickly go over that so that if someone was reading this collection, they would be able to sort of identify those steps? Yeah, totally. I mean, because the journey is short for a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is not like the epic hero's journey where there are like 12 steps. <laughs> um, the best book I can recommend on this is called The Witch Must Die. It's literary theory, but it's very readable. Um, Basically, there are, according to theorists, (laughs) and I will try to cite my sources in our show notes, but there are three aspects of a woman's life. There's maiden, there's mother, and there's crone. And the maiden is the one who is, you know, waiting for the sexual awakening. She's the one who's almost always featured in a fairy tale. And her journey really is entering into a period of uncertainty or adolescence, this confusion, often that looks like being lost in the woods. And 
Then she goes into her waiting period. That looks like cleaning up after some dwarves and or falling asleep for a period of time. And then her journey ends with that sexual awakening or marriage or whatever we want to call it in fairy tale land. So then the the other parts of a woman's life, mother and crone, are her adulthood. And interestingly, we never see mothers in fairy tales. And a lot of theorists posit that that's because mothers represent that type of agency. They are sexually mature. They have more power than the maiden. They have like had their awakening, and that's not safe to put in these stories. So mothers always die. But then there's the crone, who is, you know, the old, terrifying woman who is always jealous of the maiden. And that represents, you know, the end of a woman's life when she no longer has her beauty, she no longer has her children, and there's really, you know, nothing left for her but to be an evil witch and burden upon society. So that's the heroine's journey. It's a pretty terrible one. It is. And (laughs) I like that Angela Carter's playing with it. So we do have at least one story where there is a mother mm-hmm. and she gets to do some really great stuff. So I love that. So make sure you read. So much. <laughs> so good. And we see quite a few fathers who are pretty much focused on money and willing to sacrifice their daughters, which is very typical fairy tale father role. And we get a little bit of crone. I, I mean, I would love to read more of like a witchy crone story from Angela Carter. Maybe that exists, but it's not really in this collection. It's more, much more focused on the um, sort of like Maiden's Awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do, so she's kind of, in some cases, her awakening comes after marriage. So we do get to sort of see that journey after a little bit. Um, in some cases, her awakening, like instead of, sort of locking her down into motherhood or marriage in some cases it really just awakens her power and she figures out who she is which is so fun. So I do I do really think it's it's fun to know those fairy tale tropes beyond just I mean some of the symbols that are so obvious she references like, oh, well, her skin was white as snow and her lips were red and her hair was black and all of these beasts in here. So there are some definite tropes, but sort of knowing where that actually fits in the spectrum of the narrative is really fascinating. Yeah, I really love how she's playing with those ideas and those archetypes, I think, is the best way to to think or talk about them. and. I love how that comes out in the fact that her collection is not, here's my Snow White retelling, and here's my Beauty and the Mm -hmm. Beast retelling, and here's my, they're, like you've said, they're all intermingled, and then there are some that feel like she's doing a couple riffs on Beauty and the Beast, like different directions it could go, or different themes that are important to that story, and I, I love that because I do think she is more playing with the archetypes than with the specific stories. And then, like you said, she's alluding to the different stories in such beautiful and insightful ways. And then it also says, here is, there's so much in Beauty and the Beast that there is to see. Yes. So her being able to take different angles on it just shows that there's there's a wealth in that story that can be uncovered. Our last sort of discussion point here is where we see the influence of this collection, sort of modern times. We've talked about its roots and we've sort of talked about what some things might mean. But I think it's really interesting that when we see fairy tale retellings today, for the most part, they are for a young adult audience. Most of the books that we talked about in our fairy tale retelling episode are YA. Mm -hmm. And most that's just where most of them sit. And I wonder if that does have to do so much with the search for identity, with the sexual awakening, with just the 
the part in this, like, that's where fairy tale heroes and heroines are in their story is that age. But I wonder if there's something else going on there, too. Hmm. And I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that is so interesting. I hadn't thought much about that before, but it is so true that fairy tale retellings are so aimed at young people. And I mean, maybe it is kind of a reckoning or reworking with what women's journeys have historically been thought to be. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I also, I love that she, she doesn't shy away from, and in fact, doubles down on the gruesome aspects of the original stories, which I mean, I, I don't know that we should be like reading the original fairy tales, but I think that the Disneyfication of these stories is somewhat problematic. Like just the way that we kind of celebrate fairy tales as a fantasy and don't look at the dark side of their roots and maybe their themes. I don't know. That doesn't answer your question at all, Chelsea, but just another thing that I'm thinking about with this book. Yeah, I think it's totally fair for us to just toss out some thoughts like this. And I would be curious to hear what listeners think as they read and as we sort of continue this ongoing discussion. Something else that I am thinking of now that you mention it is maybe the most used examples when I am teaching sort of literary devices or things in the classroom, I use fairy tales all the time because they're so a part of our consciousness. I mean, many of us grow up on the Disney movies and many of us grow up on, you know, having a fairy tale book on our bookshelf when we're little. So we at least do know the most sanitized versions but they really do lend themselves to analysis in so many different ways. Even the original tales, not just stories like Angela Carter's, but they're so a part of us. And I think that that's fascinating. And I think it says something about storytelling itself Mm -hmm. and about narrative. And I think that what Angela Carter is doing with story is also fascinating and could make an entirely other episode <laughs> if we were just going to talk about how she plays with narrative and meta narrative. Totally. Well, and we should probably pick one of these stories eventually and do it for short story club and do a little bit more of a deep dive. But what you are saying about storytelling reminded me of something we talked about in our Odyssey episode. And it was something Madeline Miller has said about her own writing, which sounds quite similar to what Angela Carter has said about hers. Madeline Miller says, there's no such thing as the original myth. There's only retelling. And that might be true for fairy tales as well. So if a listener wanted to pick this up, they only had time for like three stories. I think we can easily say the bloody chamber should definitely be one. What other stories do you think capture the collection really well that they could focus on? I think The Courtship of Mr. Lion, because it it doesn't necessarily capture the collection perfectly well. It actually has quite a different tone, but I think it's a nice pairing for The Bloody Chamber. How about you? What else would you add to the short list? I mean, I agree with you that The Bloody Chamber, The Tiger's Bride, and... um courtship of Mr. Lion all go together really well. So reading those three makes a lot of sense. And then I also think that if you read The Company of Wolves or The Werewolf, The Company of Wolves and Wolf Alice, those three go together really well too. Yeah, that's true. You could do one, two, three, and then jump to the end or pick one of each of those sets of three and have two kind of stories of a spectrum that would give you a great introduction to Angela Carter. And then if you want to be, you know, scarred for life, read the two pages of The Snow Child. It's terrifying. (laughs) Let's not do that one for Short Story Club. No, I'd be like 
blushing and mortified the whole way through. I'm excited to hear what people think if they pick it up. Me too. Okay, since we talked a lot about how Angela Carter has influenced modern storytelling and influenced so many books that we enjoy today, I'm really excited to get into our pairings. And I am especially curious to hear about yours because you love Gothic literature. I do. And I decided to go entirely short story and poetry collection for today. So my first pairing is actually by Kelly Link, who wrote the introduction to the edition of The Bloody Chamber that you and I both read, Chelsea. And so clearly, I mean, she writes in her introduction how inspired her own writing is by Angela Carter. So the collection is called Stranger Things Happen. And I actually picked this collection up several years ago when I was in San Francisco. I went to City Lights Bookstore and Stranger Things Happen was on the staff recommendations. I'd never heard of Kelly Link, but the cover caught my eye because it looks like a Nancy Drew type character. She's like walking through a creepy forest and she has a flashlight and but it looks way creepier than Nancy Drew. And I bought this collection, read it, loved it. I actually passed it along to a friend, so I don't have it anymore. But it's fantastic. This is a short story collection, so it's hard to give a summary, <laughs> but these are all kind of paranormal fantasy-like stories. Some of them are based on fairy tales. They almost all read like fairy tales in the cautionary tale sense, like, you know, don't go into the woods after dark or you'll get eaten by a witch kind of thing. Um, But there are like weird things like a young woman detective having to travel into the underworld, just like weird gothic twisty things. A lot of them, I think, are similarly about the archetypal feminine journey as we've seen it throughout literature, but she does play more with science fiction-y type stuff. So there are some aliens who come into stories and things like that. I, I really, really liked this collection. Again, this is one thing I've discovered in my newfound love of short stories. It's really hard to sell a short story collection. Like, I can't tell you what every single story is about. I just can tell you that the feeling you will get from this collection is quite similar to that that you get with Angela Carter, but there might be even weirder and they're great. So that is Stranger Things Happen by Kelly Link. I also have a couple of short story collections to share. And the first one isn't out at the time that we are recording this. I don't think it'll be out when this episode releases either. The publishing date as of right now is March 2nd. So I'm sharing it knowing that I'm really excited about it and that it sounds very Angela Carter-esque, but we will see. So the title of the collection is Burning Girls and Other Stories, and the author is Veronica Shanos. And this is her debut short story collection, and it's described as dreamy, dangerous, and precise with the weight of the very oldest tales we tell. And that sounds very Angela Carter to me. I'm very excited. So these are speculative fiction and fantasy. They are genre bending, which always sparks my interest. And so a couple of examples of these short stories. Emma Goldman takes tea with Baba Yaga. And in another one, a young woman in 17th century Germany is intent on avenging the brutal murder of her father, but then she discovers that vengeance is actually more dangerous than she thinks. And then in the title story, she investigates an immigrant narrative with a fearsome fairy tale quality. And it's about, uh, it's a story about America. And I'm just really interested in the way that she's going to weave fairy tale in and out of these stories. And I also think that this collection sounds Angela Carter-ish because of the setting and that sort of like timelessness. 
and the different time periods that the collection crosses. So I'm really excited about this one and I hope that it lives up to my expectations. So that is Burning Girls and Other Stories by Veronica Shanos. That sounds so good. I'm going to add that to my own TBR. My next pairing, another short story collection, is Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. So I haven't read every single story in this collection, but I plan to go back to these because Machado's writing is just fantastic. What I really love about this one and pairing it with Angela Carter is that Carmen Maria Machado is still really working with horror and fantasy and fairy tales and genre bending and the archetypal female journey, but she's doing it through her perspective as a queer woman of color. And so the way she, as a writer, connects to and plays with these archetypes is very different from what we see white women writers doing with these stories. This book is quite creepy, quite violent and and gruesome, but also told in that Machado way of a certain distance from her subject. Um, we read one of her short stories, Horror Story, as part of Short Story Club, and she really, in that, as well as in these stories in this collection, is very consciously playing with genre and conventions. So I just, I think that her writing reminds me a lot of Angela Carter's in that way, but she also is bringing a very different perspective and point of view to the table, which I really appreciate. And so I think these collections would be a good pairing and really have a lot um, of both overlap and points of contention, which I, I think would be a cool reading experience. So that's Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. Machado is an excellent comparison here. I think that's such a good pairing. Yeah, it, it makes me want to pick this collection up and finish it right away while I have Carter fresh in my mind. My next pairing is Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Basher-Deuce. And we briefly mentioned this book in our fairy tale retellings episode, but we focused more on Basher-Deuce's most recent release, which was Girl, Serpent, Thorn. So I just think that this one in particular makes for such a perfect pairing with Angela Carter for a few reasons. First, I'll give a little bit of synopsis. So we have a story that follows Mina, and Mina literally has a heart of glass. And she's kind of wondering why she's never fallen in love, why her heart never beats. It's because she literally has a heart of glass that her magician father gave her. And she moves to the castle and she decides that she is going to become the queen and marry the king. But there's a catch. She has to become a stepmother. So Lynette looks just like her mother who died. Nobody has mothers because it's a fairy tale, of course. And this magician created her out of snow in her mother's image. So we have Mina, who is only 16, and we have Lynette, her stepdaughter, who's about her same age, which is a little creepy, but like very much follows fairy tale tropes here. So I think that this story is really interesting because of the way it plays with motherhood and fatherhood very reminiscent of Angela Carter's fairy tales and those tropes. I also think that this is it sort of playing with identity and discovering who you are. This is a queer retelling of Snow White and it's darker. It's just a, I think that it is a darker, more, I'm not going to say that all YA fairy tales are sunshiny because they're not. A lot of them are darker, but I just think that this one is perhaps a little bit more literary. I think that Basher Deuce really has a 
great writing style. And I think that this one just pairs really, really well with Angela Carter's fairy tales. And it's it's just really good on its own. It's a solid retelling. It's really, really lovely. But I think that the themes and the fairy tale tropes that Carter plays with definitely show up in this one. So that is Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Basherdust. I can't wait to read that one. And you're so right that her her writing is quite extraordinary and literary and just very multifaceted. That's a great pairing. What is your final pairing? I've talked about this one before on the podcast. I talked about it in our poetry episode. And I just, I love this poetry collection so much. And this is a great book for people who think that they don't like poetry because this collection is fun. It's funny. It's sexy. It's irreverent. It will get you thinking, but you don't have to like read between the lines of everything. It is The World's Wife by Carol Ann Duffy. And in this collection, she takes forgotten women of history and legend, and she writes poems for them and from their perspectives. So there are poems from the perspective of Mrs. Darwin and Penelope and Eurydice and there are also some fairy tale ones, including a Little Red Riding Hood retelling and a Beauty and the Beast retelling. These are for grown-ups, even though some of them are funny and have sing-songy rhythms. They are steamy or sometimes a little bit violent. But I think that this book just really is, again, doing the same sort of project or the same sort of work as Angela Carter's, which is thinking about the way women's stories have been told throughout history and how we can play with that in sometimes a playful way and in sometimes a problematizing way. So I just want to read a couple of lines from the Little Red Riding Hood poem because you're just going to hear how (laughs) much this fits with Angela Carter. And I'm skipping a little bit just to to pull some of the most Carter-esque lines out. He stood in a clearing, reading his verse out loud, in his wolfy drawl, a paperback in his hairy paw, red wine staining his bearded jaw. What big ears he had, what big eyes he had, what teeth. In the interval, I made quite sure he spotted me. For what little girl doesn't dearly love a wolf? That's so perfect. It's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, so these poems, they're they are fun. Again, they're sexy. So sometimes they are really like questioning traditional roles. And they're for sure feminist. Just in the same sort of playful, genre-defying way that Angela Carter's stories are. So... I love this collection. I just, I really highly recommend it to anyone who wants to dip their toes into poetry. Or even if, again, you think you don't like poems, but you love mythology retellings and fairy tale retellings, I think that you might get some enjoyment from The World's Wife by Carol Ann Duffy. I still have to pick that one up. I think I would love it. I think you would too. And they're all, the poems are very wide ranging. And so, I think that, you know, some readers really latch onto some of the more dense, evocative poems. And then there are others that are like fun little limericks and those appeal to other readers. So it's just, I think many, many types of readers can find some enjoyment in this one. And I think you would really like it, Chelsea. I agree. I have one final short story collection to recommend here. I have listened to part of it, but I haven't listened through the whole thing. And it was recently published in December. This is A Universe of Wishes. It's an anthology edited by Danielle Clayton. And it is from the We Need Diverse Books group. And so this is a collection of young adult fantasy short stories built around fairy tales. And the authors are amazing. It's a group of incredibly diverse authors in terms of 
the genres that they write and their race and ethnicity and sexual identity. We have authors like Libba Bray, Danielle Clayton, Tessa Gratton. We have Victoria Schwab, also known as V.E. Schwab, Nick Stone, among others. And these authors have taken these stories and twisted them into different YA retellings. I don't think that they're all modern. A lot of them are still firmly planted in fantasy. But the reason that I really wanted to pair this with Angela Carter, beyond it being a short story collection of fairy tales, is not necessarily that these match her tone, but that these match the moment that we're in, perhaps better than Angela Carter's collection. When we were talking about how feminist Carter's collection is and feminist theory, we were very much talking about the second wave feminism that Carter was writing in, um, also known these days as white feminism. And so we got a lot of character descriptions in The Bloody Chamber, but most of those character descriptions were their skin was white as snow. And so, and we didn't have much diversity in terms of sexual identity either in her collection. So I just think that this collection, A Universe of Wishes, updates the fairy tales in a different way that meets our current moment better and I think is going to be really fun. I mean, these authors are fabulous and I really do trust them to do some incredible things with their stories. So for example, Victoria Schwab's short story is called A Royal Affair. And it is a story about a courtship and the events that lead to one of her characters becoming captain of the Night Spire. Doesn't the Night Spire just sound so intriguing and delightful? Oh, yes. So I, I'm just really excited about this one. And I think for people who maybe were intrigued by the Bloody Chamber but prefer their fairy tale retellings, maybe a little less gothic and more modern and more diverse, I think that a universe of wishes could definitely satisfy them. And I also think that this is one that has potential to be used in the classroom. I do think some of Angela Carter's stories could be used in the classroom, but I always think that these YA anthologies would just make such fun classroom reading and assignments. So that is A Universe of Wishes, and it is edited by Danielle Clayton and includes a bunch of amazing authors. Mm, that sounds great. All right, Chelsea. Well, we, I think, recommended some really excellent books today. Sometimes we end our episodes with a pick of the week where we share, you know, one extra goodie that we'd like to pair with our book that we're discussing. So do you have a pick of the week to pair with The Bloody Chamber? I have a couple. Oh, good. And, <laughs> and that's because they're behind a bit of a paywall. So I wanted to offer a couple of options for people. So last night, my husband and I rented the movie Promising Young Woman, which stars Carrie Mulligan. I think as of right now, the main place that you can get it is Amazon Prime. I don't know if it's on any other streaming services, but you do have to pay $19.99. So it's almost like going to the movie theater and getting a couple of tickets. So know that, and you can always wait for it to be on a streaming service, but I thought that it was well worth our $19.99 for the two of us to watch it and then talk about it. And we really, really liked it. I don't want to say too much about what the movie is about. It is part rom-com, part thriller, part revenge movie. And it, I, I don't think it reminded me of it in the moment, but I watched Promising Young Woman last night. And then I read The Company of Wolves this morning. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking about them in relation to each other. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But I highly recommend watching it. Sarah, I think that you would really like it if you haven't watched it yet. I haven't. Well, if you're waiting for a push, this is your push that I do think it was worth the $19.99. And then there's another movie, and this one is on Apple TV. We got Apple TV exclusively to watch Ted Lasso. And so we did the free trial. I think we ended up paying the $5 before I could cancel it. But then 
Apple TV emailed me and was like, we're going to put a credit on your account if you stay signed up from February through June. So we're getting it for free again. And I think they're just trying to retain people Mm -hmm. because let's be honest, the only thing on Apple TV is Ted Lasso. (laughs) But there is also a movie called Wolf Walkers. It's an animated 2D movie and it's beautiful and it is completely fairy tale-esque. So I think like if you're thinking in terms of Disney, I might compare it to Brave or Frozen, but it's not Disneyfied, but it's about this girl and her father who are hunters and they enter this town and they intend to wipe out the wolves. But then the girl ends up in the forest and she meets a wolf girl and she makes friends with her and she ends up sort of having this conflict with her father over hunting the wolves because she's participating in this new wolf culture herself. And so it sounds very Angela Carter-ish, especially particularly any of the wolf stories, like Wolf Alice or any of those. And um, it's getting great reviews. It's got some awesome voice actors. So if you do end up on Apple TV for Ted Lasso, <laughs> and if you luck out, with I don't I don't know if that like retention thing if the free credits are going to keep going but it's worth a shot right then Wolf Walkers is waiting for you on there as well so promising young woman and Wolf Walkers there's your weekend uh, viewing I love that I also have two one is the book I mentioned earlier in the episode The Witch Must Die um, the Subtitle of that is The Hidden Meaning of Fairy Tales, and it is by Sheldon Cashton. I really loved and got a lot out of this book. I've written quite a few papers in my day that used some of the theory in this book. It is older. It was published in 2000, so it's not like that that old in terms of literary criticism. But I will say I am ready for some fresh takes on fairy tales in terms of the way we're we're thinking about them as an archetypal journey and structures to be used for literary criticism. So not everything in this book may feel particularly modern in how we like to talk about books, but it's a great place to start if you want to think about fairy tales as archetypes and what they may say about culture and identity and psychology. And then my other is a podcast, and I'm sure there are tons of fairy tale podcasts, but I've only really listened to one and I liked it. It's it's no longer being made, unfortunately, but it's called Singing Bones. And it goes back to the bare bones of fairy tales. And each episode she takes, I think there might only be like 10 episodes, but she takes one fairy tale and really explores the roots of it, the original story, the different versions across various cultures, as well as retellings. And so it's a really fun deep dive into various stories to kind of remind you of whatever the original of these fairy tales might have been and how they've been adapted over the centuries. So that is called Singing Bones. I am excited to listen to Singing Bones. I think that sounds super fun and I love fairy tales. And I'm really excited to hear if you end up watching Promising Young Woman or Wolf Walker, either of those movies. I'm excited to hear what you think. Yeah, I am excited to pick those up. I We're always looking for new fun things. Well, speaking of new fun things, listeners, if you can't get enough classic book talk and nerdy deep dives, stay tuned because we're starting a Patreon community. In the Novel Pairings Patreon community, you will get access to weekly bonus episodes, to monthly classes, and book discussions with your fellow listeners. To be the first to get access to our new community when we launch, subscribe to our newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com. 
We also cannot wait to hear all about your experiences with The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter. Please be sure to tag us in your reviews on Instagram at Novel Pairings Pod. We also love to see when and where you're listening. So tag us in those Instagram stories when you're listening to the podcast and let us know. Listeners, we also would love it if you keep spreading the word about Novel Pairings by sending your friends a link to your favorite episode or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Michelle Timmons for her assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with our quarterly wrap-up episode, sharing our favorite books of the last three months. Until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.